This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com forward slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com forward slash B-E. This is the Authority Podcast, where we talk with people who are the authority on their subjects. I am the creator, Jethro Jones. Join us as we discuss a wide range of topics from education to sociology to high performance and anything in between. We are a proud member of the B Podcast Network. You can find more of our shows at bpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Authority Podcast. I am excited to have you here today. My guest today is Tom Herr, who retired after leading the New City School in St. Louis, Missouri for 34 years, and he is now the Emeritus Head of School. He is currently a scholar in residence at the University of Missouri-St. Louis and teaches in the Educational Leadership Program, who where he prepares prospective principals. He also uh, led the ISAACS, New Heads Network, and founded the Nonprofit Management Program at Washington University in St. Louis. Tom has written several books and is newest Chief Empathy Officer, Creating a Culture Where Everybody Where Everyone Grows. Um, is a great book that you should check out. He's written a ton of articles, uh, including the Principal Connection column in Educational Leadership Magazine from 2004 to 2017. And he's previously been on the Transformative Principal podcast a couple times, uh, which you can find by going to transformativeprincipal.org and just searching in the box that says, who do you want to learn from? Type in Tom Her, and you will get so much good stuff. Uh, we talked about his book, The Formative Five, in there, which was one of my favorites um, and one that is so good. So, Tom, welcome to the Authority Podcast. Appreciate you being here today. Jethro, uh, it's great to be here. I always enjoy talking about things that make a difference for schools and kids. And I know the people who listen to you are the kind of folks who are going to take knowledge and run with it. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, well, it's a pleasure to have you. You are an inspiring man who's been inspiring me for years, and I'm grateful to know you and be able to talk to you. And um, your book, The Principal's Chief Empathy Officer, is a 
exciting step in your progression because I have I've read your other books and am excited about the directions that you've been going with those. I remember in the formative five in that interview, I said the formative five are should be the only things that we teach in school. And I know that that ruffled some people's feathers, but <laughs> let's talk about empathy and why does that matter so very much, especially today? Well, when I wrote the formative five, Jeff, it was you suggest, I had five what I called success skills. You know, the case I'm making is it's not enough to prepare kids academically. We need to do that, but we can't stop there. And I suggested that we also need to develop their empathy, self-control, integrity, embracing diversity, and grit. And in 2017, you know, I'm traveling around the country. I'm in Dubai. I'm in Manila. And I was often asked, well, gosh, uh, which one of these is the most important? And my response is, well, that's a little like saying, which one of your kids do you love the most? Yeah. They're all important, cynical and however, comma. The more I look at it, the more I think about it, I come down on empathy. I keep thinking, wow, if there was more empathy in the world today, we would all be in better shape. And if there was more empathy in schools, we'd be in better shape. So after the formative five, I wrote another book called Taking Social Emotional Learning School-Wide. And I use school culture there as a tool for implementing the social emotional learning that I write about. And I was all over leadership, all over administration. And I thought to myself, I need to write a book for school leaders. And I use that term consciously. It, the title is the principal is chief empathy officer, but whatever your leadership role is, whether it's a principal, assistant principal, instructional coordinator, teacher, because teachers are leaders, whatever your role is, I believe empathy can help you be more effective. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And one of the things that I've noticed is that if you don't have empathy, it's really hard for people to follow you. Absolutely. And if you do have empathy, it's a lot easier for them to follow you. What would you add to that? I, I would totally say that, and I, I agree with that. And I think one of the things that when I do presentations and I talk about empathy and I begin and I get into that, and I've spent you know, 10, 15 minutes making the case for empathy, and I will say to people in the audience, and I did this on Friday, I was at a school, and I said, my guess is even though you're not going to say it, you're probably thinking, gosh, I wonder if I have enough empathy. That's kind of a normal, natural reaction. Yeah. And my point would be, I certainly did not. Chances are you don't. The good news is that empathy is a muscle, if you will. We can all make our empathy stronger by consciously working toward it, on it are things we can do. So if you buy into your premise, you're right. That empathy is a key factor. Then the point is, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to be more empathic? How am I going to use that to help teachers grow, to help kids learn? Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you would suggest people develop their empathy muscle and strengthen it? Well, I think a couple of things. The first one in, in my presentation, in my book, I talk about the need with anything we do to be intentional and transparent. And the intentionality, well, you're, you're, if you're choosing to do it, you're intentional. But the transparency, if I'm a leader in a school and I hear Tom Herr, I hear Jethro, and I say, wow, I want to be empathic, I'm going to talk about that. I'm not going to do it on my own. I'm going to convene a group, three, five people. Maybe I just have, hey, I've got coffee and donuts. Who'd like to talk with me? And it's voluntary. But I want to get a little group of people who are working on that understanding the importance of it. Once we know the importance of empathy, we recognize it. 
integral to empathy is listening. And it's not just listening, standing. It's being aggressive. It's pursuing. It's getting out of our comfort zones. Um, your principals will, will hear this. They're all going to roll their eyes, Jethro, because this is going to be something that is great advice and almost impossible to do, but really, really good. Years ago at my school, one of my assistants came to me and she said, Tom, um, I want to talk to you about one of your problems. Now, she and I had a good enough relationship that she could say one of my problems and you yeah. know, I wasn't offended. Uh, and I said, what is that? Uh, and she said, You're, well, you, you look too busy. And I said, well, I am busy. And she said, that's my point. She said, we care about you. And it's so clear that you're busy that we don't want to bother you. And so we don't come up and talk to you. Uh, we don't have casual conversations. And I think what's going to happen is something's going to blow up in your face in a week or a month. And people will say, well, I knew about that, but I didn't want to bother Tom. He yeah. was so busy. Well, I had never, never really confronted myself with that. I thought she's right. So I made a point. And I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, I'm sure. But I made a point to hang out in the halls more, just kind of be casual, uh, spend time in the teacher's lounge. I should have done more of that. And it was hard for me because I always felt like I should be working. Well, the reality is I was working. I was being accessible. And by being accessible, I longed about people. One of the things I've been saying lately, and I'm doing this in the classes that I teach at the University of Missouri-St. Louis, is it's not enough for me to know people as students. I want to know them as people. And when I was leading my school, it wasn't enough for me to know people as teachers. I needed to know them as people. That's how you develop empathy. That's how you begin to understand what they're thinking, what they're feeling, so that you can relate to them. Leadership is about relationships and empathy is integral to relationships. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to something that you said. One of the keys um, you said is to create a voluntary group. And I think that in creating a voluntary opportunity for people is an aspect of having empathy. What would you add to that? Well, I would agree. And I think doing that, doing that regularly, one of the things I, I talk about in my book is comfort zones. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion about comfort zones and being in your bubble uh, in the media today. And we tend to think of our bubble as a political bubble. You know, you associate people who vote the way you do. Chances are they look like you um, and maybe in the same income range. So that's a bubble. Well, guess what? There's bubbles in schools too. And sometimes those fall under educational philosophy. Um, one of the things I did, in fact, at this workshop last Friday, is I said to everybody, write down on a piece of paper, you're not going to turn it into anybody. Uh, the people with whom you're the most closest at your school, folks that you talk to the most. And they did that. And I said, so here's my guess. It may be they teach the same subject matter, the same grade, they're in the same department. Chances are, these are people who share characteristics with you. And, you know, I got a lot of nods they do. And I talked about the characteristics I just mentioned. Well, to your point, Jethro, a voluntary group kind of gets out of the bubble. It's not just me talking to the people who think I'm smart. It's me saying, hey, who wants to come? I've got coffee and donuts. I heard this guy talking about empathy, and I think there are some things we could do at our school. But I want to get your thoughts on that. Opening that up, it's going to be messy. It's going to take longer. You're going to hear some people with you don't agree. But ultimately, when you get there, it's going to be a better product, a better process, because you have different voices. Yeah, you know, this was one of the things that I am grateful to have learned fairly early on was that if I was trying to force an initiative, 
it never worked out. Right. If I instead gave an idea and said, yep. who wants to do this, then it totally changed how things worked. Yep. Just so that's profound. And yet too often we don't think that we're all wedded to our ideas. And what mm. I've come to realize is even if my idea is the best, it's not the best unless other people are on board. So, you know, compromising, having it be a product of the group, engaging a group is good. One of the other things that I, I talk about in my book, periodically when I was running my school, I would have breakfast with Tom. And I would have this like four or five times a year, often on a PD morning, we'd start at nine. So breakfast with Tom would be eight, maybe seven thirty, seven forty-five, And it would be optional. If you want to come, you can come anyway. I'll have the donuts and coffee. The agenda is yours. And I would say to people, we'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, I would get quarter to a third, occasionally half of the people. And it was wonderful uh, because people would raise issues. Occasionally, I think, well, didn't you read that? I wrote that in the bulletin. Yeah. They would raise issues that were important to them. That was really valuable for me to hear. And it was also valuable for everybody to see, hey, Tom really is interested. So there might be people who came to the breakfast at Tom, didn't say anything there, but that somehow made them feel more comfortable the following Tuesday or a month later saying, hey, what about, I want to know, or whatever. Again, it's me being approachable. Now, the empathy comes from listening and learning. And it's hard to listen. It's hard to learn if people don't think you're really interested in it. Yeah, well, that is, that is very true. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsors. So one of the things that you also talk about is empathetic conversations. Can you tell us about that and what we should learn from that? Yeah, that, that is something I've come to a couple of years ago. Um, I wish I had, had known about it when I was teaching. And basically, it's an ext extension when I was running my school. It's an extension of this notion that I really want to get to know people as people, not just the role they play. So when I talked about teaching a couple of seconds ago when I misspoke, because I began doing this when I was teaching at the university. COVID hit, and I felt like I didn't get to know my students well enough. These are young people working on a master's degree. And so what I said is, let's do an empathy conversation through Zoom. Now, I've taught graduate school for more years than probably many of your listeners have been alive. <laughs> and it's always the same. You know, class starts, people hustle in at the last minute, class ends. Typically, it's an evening class. So folks need to go home. They don't have time to hang around and maybe John wants to talk to me and Susie's behind John. Well, Mary's not going to be the third line. So even though I taught for years and I think I got to know my students, I didn't really get to know them as much as I would have liked. So what I began doing two years ago is saying, Hey, let's do an empathy conversation over zoom. It's now a class requirement in the course I teach. I teach school culture, university of Missouri, St. Louis. And what that means is during the course of the semester, I'm going to do a 20-minute empathy conversation Zoom. And what's nice about it, people don't have to get to class early. They don't have to hang around. can be at night. Often I will talk to folks. They've got an infant in their arms. they got the dog in their lap or whatever. Uh, I talked to one of my students at 7 a.m., another one at 10 p.m. And I sent out the questions ahead of time, and these are in my book, some things that I might want to talk about. So I would say to them, I know you as a student. I want to know you as a person. How old were you when you decided you wanted to be in education? What do you like to do for fun? Uh, how do you learn? And what I've also learned, Jethro, is that for people to be comfortable talking to me, 
I need to disclose. So I might say to them, those are the questions I'm going to ask you. But let me start and tell you a bit about me. Uh, I began getting into education because I wanted to be a high school football coach. People kind of roll their eyes. And so (laughs) by me being open and candid, that sets the tone. And again, that's establishing the empathy. Leadership's about relationship. And the more I know you and understand you, the more I can develop empathy, the better we can be together. And the more you're going to learn, which means your kids are going to learn. Yeah. And, and I think adding to that is, is asking a question around why do you stay in education? Because a lot of people leave, especially within the first five years. And so if you've been there longer, then answering that question of why you stay really gives insight. And I bring that up because I, I had a teacher that I worked with who was in education for a very long time. And I wanted to know why she was still sticking around, even though she could have retired. Mm-hmm. And she said, this is just fun. <laughs> I enjoy doing it. Wonderful. You know, she's a good teacher. Yeah, exactly. And she was. And in fact, she, she had a chance to retire right before we adopted this new uh, curriculum for for an elementary school. And what was so amazing is that she could have retired and said, you know, I want to stick around and see how this new thing rolls out and see what it looks like and see if I can, if this old dog can still learn new tricks. And I remember how inspiring that was that instead of saying this new thing is going to be hard and I'm going to leave so I don't have to experiencing it. She instead said, I'm going to stay and do this new experience because I want to see if I can still do it. And she did and did a great job. But man, once she said that, it was a totally different relationship between us because I I went out of my way to make sure that she was having fun. And when she had difficult students in her class, then I would I would work hard to ensure that she had extra support because she was a great teacher and she was there to have fun. And when that wasn't happening, then I could do something to help. So I definitely felt like I should. And that was such a fascinating change for me instead of instead of like just saying, you know, deal with the kids in your class. It was me saying, how can I help you deal with what's going on in your classroom? And I didn't realize at the time that I was gaining empathy for her. But I look back and see that now and think that was a a beautiful relationship. And she's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, that is a wonderful story. And at the end, you kind of touched upon the fact and you're being modest. The fact that you had that relationship with her all along is part of her staying. And uh, it's the kind of thing we want with all of our teachers, totally. Yeah. And I, and I think we <laughs> we want that with all of our teachers, and sometimes it gets hard. And I think that's because we don't actually have empathy for them. And I think about there there's this idea that is poisonous in schools, I believe, that somebody that we need to get rid of teachers or principals or whoever because they're not buying into the vision or anything like that. And one of the things that I said in How to Be a Transformative Principal is if you're doing observations to lead to evaluation of whether or not a teacher is good, you're totally missing the point. The purpose of doing an observation is to see if the vision that you have developed for the school is being implemented in the classroom. And if it's not then you need to do a better job of explaining the vision. And if you change your focus to from, I need to evaluate and see how this teacher is doing to, I need to see if the vision that I have is being implemented. Uh, the the way to see, <laughs> to have that conversation is really to have empathy for what they're going through. 
why aren't they implementing the vision? And you can ask them flat out, what about our vision do you not understand? And how can I help you understand it better? And if you're not seeing the evidence of that in the classroom when you're doing observations, that's a perfectly good way to gain empathy to what they're experiencing and see what roadblocks are preventing them from being successful in what you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. That's spot on. In fact, I, you mentioned I used to write a column for Ed Leadership. I'm now writing a blog for ASCD, and I wrote one in October, I think, about teacher observations. And basically, I said what you're saying, and that is we should view them, we school principals should view them is an opportunity to build trust and develop relationships. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a gotcha. It's an opportunity to come in, to learn, to understand. And if we view observations, not as a incident along the way, but rather as a path on the journey, all of a sudden we can help teachers grow. We can wind up causing them to get the vision and work toward it. Yeah, absolutely. And so let's let's bring this back to empathy and all these things that we're talking about. Uh, we're in the middle right now and probably will be for the foreseeable future of a teacher shortage that there's not enough teachers. And, and one of the stats that I looked at recently said that we were going to have a 300,000 teacher shortfall in wow. 2022. And this was data from before the pandemic. Yeah. And so it, it's even more real right now. And I think that when you are more empathetic as a principal, you invite people to come to your school yes. and the impact that you have of people coming and staying is the way to mitigate this teacher shortage. What would you add to that? Absolutely. I mean, when, when you think about it, let me start off by saying that educators are underpaid, period. Teachers mm -hmm. are underpaid even worse, period. That said, paragraph, the reality is that while we principals may not be able to raise pay scales, what we can do is help create a climate where people feel valued. I'm teaching class tonight, in fact, and I'm going to talk about Frederick Herzberg, H-E-R-Z-B-E-R-G, theory of motivation versus hygiene. And, you know, Herzberg says that the factors which typically we think about for people being happy in the job salary, that's a satisfier. Uh, they need to be paid enough so they're not unhappy, but paying them more doesn't make them happier. Yep, we all want that nice weekend trip. But that doesn't make them look at their job differently. What makes them look at their job differently are the motivators. And that is what the job is, how supported they feel. What about the peer group? So if I'm a principal, I want to show empathy for my folks. And one of the things, you know this, Jethro, so do I. Every principal knows it. Teaching is still far too silo-like. Folks are alone. So what I'm going to do is work on developing collegiality within my building, congeniality, then collegiality. So teachers are part of a team. If they walk in that building and they know that it's going to be a, a hard day, I've got some tough things ahead of me, but I've got support from the people who work with me, that's a big, big difference. And that begins with having empathy for them, who they are and how we can help them. Yeah, that's brilliant. The final question I like to ask on this podcast is, if, if somebody can only read one small part of your book, where should they go? And what should they learn from that? I think the, the way to begin is by looking at empathy and reading the section that I wrote about listening. And I've got a number of specific strategies and ideas about how you can listen, how you can get out of your bubble. And again, as I said earlier, beginning with talking about what you're doing and why you're doing it. If all of a sudden you're much more inquisitive, if you're hanging around, if you're asking questions, 
if you tell people you want to talk and you don't say why, they're going to think, what's up? Am I in danger? What's yeah. happening here? But if you say, hey, I heard Jeffrey Jones's podcast and there was this guy, he was talking about empathy. I'm, I'm going to pursue that. All of a sudden, that helps them understand why you're doing it and where you're going. And it makes the listening that you're going to do much more engaging. And it's a two-way conversation. When we develop empathy for other people, they develop empathy for us. Yeah, I, I think that's great. Once again, the book by Tom Hurt is called The Principal as Empathy Officer, Creating a Culture Where Everyone Grows. Tom, thank you so much for being part of the Authority Podcast. Appreciate having you here. and Appreciate that I can call you friend. Me too, Jeff. Jeff, it was great to be here. Good luck, everybody. Shoot me an email. There's something I can do. Shoot Jeff an email. He's your resident expert. <laughs> Thank you. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.